Access Racism is Denied. We're happy to have you here on this Monday. Uh, we have some great guests today. I'm excited to be here. Um, again, my name is Larry Jefferson. So without further ado, hey man, let's get it started. I'm glad to share this platform with my guy. And I know we got some good stuff today. Man, Dentrell Smith representing the city of Memphis. Um, man, I'm just super excited today, man. The two guys we got, got on with today. Um, it's going to be a really, really great show. I mean, every show we've had, man, this semester has been great, you know. Um, last week, if you didn't have the opportunity to, to, to tune in, uh, man, you missed out on a treat um, where we talked about the new Jim Crow laws and uh, voting. Um, and so the, the young lady and the, the, the male that we had on, they brought the thunder. So uh, great opportunity to learn some ways to, to, to help fight um, uh, some of these new laws that are coming out across the country. So learned a lot. And educate people on, you know, when to vote and uh, make sure that they are not just focusing on, uh, you know, the presidential vote, but, you know, who your councilman is, who, 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 who your mayor is, you know, make sure that you are these, these local votes are, are what really count. So make sure you get in there and get your vote on and, uh, you know, hey, Stop the complaining. You got you got you can't complain if you ain't doing nothing about it. Man, man. But I have I have to say this, brother. Um man, happy belated birthday, man. Appreciate it, man. Hey, welcome, welcome to the 30 Club, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel every bit of it. <laughs> and I, yeah, what, what's funny is, you know, I, I I hoop a lot, you know, to keep in shape. Yeah. And Sunday morning, I got up to go play at 6 a.m. It's like, I'll go play at 6 a.m., come back and go to church. Man, that 6 a.m. alarm went off, <laughs> set up. I like, can't do it, man. <laughs> can't do it. I laid back down. I laid back down. I said, I can't do it today, man. I appreciate it. He said, wait till I hit 70. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> But uh, I appreciate it. I was going to go. Uh, I was like, man, I'm going to come to your uh, birthday party, man. So uh, we had to go to Commerce because my wife was getting recognized on the uh, at the at the football game at mm -hmm. Texas and Commerce. And so by the time we got back, man, it was like 9, 930. And so, you know, I'm I'm in the bathroom getting fresh a little bit. She was like, where the hell you think you going? <laughs> I was like, man, my boy Larry's birthday. He was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and people didn't get out of there until about 2.30 a.m. Golly. Yeah, but, you know, thankful, thankful to see another year, man. You know, it's not promised to us, so uh, I'm truly blessed. Yeah, so. But, you know, we have our awesome guests here and uh, excited to have them a part of it. We'll allow them to introduce themselves and then we'll, we'll, we'll work with it. Can. I'm, I'll be back. Please make sure that you mute your camera. I mean, mute your mics and turn off your camera. Mute, mute your camera, turn off your mics. <laughs> um, but, uh, Kyle, let's start with you, man. Monet sound like she was at the club over there or something. Hey, hey turn all the way up. <laughs> I almost left. Like, uh. <laughs> Well, uh, good afternoon. My name is Cal Quigley IV. Uh, glad to be with you all. 
I serve as the academic advisor for nursing and allied health here at uh, Tarrant County Community College, also a professor of global business and ethics over at Texas Christian University. Uh, from this area originally, stop sixth greatest, uh, Dunbar High School, 96. And so uh, just happy to be here and talk about, you know, some of the challenges that our community still still has even to this day. So thank you. Jones. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, Jabari Jones, um, actually uh, no longer working with the Fort Worth Library as of this past Thursday. Um, I was a former uh, library manager and worked also in genealogy, history, and archives. Um, I also worked at the African American Museum in Dallas. Uh, so a lot of different hats, um, but as of Thursday, I will be, well, no, as of November 20th, I will not be a uh, member or a resident <laughs> of Texas. <laughs> so I'll be moving uh, away out the country for a little while. So um, I'm enjoying my last few weeks here. So uh, you're not running from the law. You're not running from the law. You just got. Oh no, I'm 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 exploring <laughs> the opportunity. To say early early retirement. I say that. That's it. So ain't nothing wrong with it. Yeah, uh, so. Jabari, do you remember uh, the Tula summers that we used to do at uh at the uh, African American Museum? I do. I was probably the charter, the charter person with that group. So. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when I saw your picture, I was like, man, I know this guy from somewhere. And then when you said African American Museum, I was like, bam, there, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My guy, Ronnie Jesse, he, he's on here listening too. I'm sure he got some Tula Summer blues to go with it. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't say the word Tula Summer right now, man. <laughs> no longer with it. <laughs> so have fun with it. Yeah, uh, man, that's funny, man. Well, yeah, um, like Larry said, thank you all for being here. As you all know, today's topic, we're talking about redlining um, and the ugly truths. Um, and this is a real heavy topic, and I'm thankful that we have some experts here um, that have really can 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 give us a personal testimony, personal experience when it comes to redlining, um, because a lot of us kind of live in the Metroplex area um, and so having the opportunity to have those individuals that can really talk specifically about it. Um, but before we really dive in, dive in, I really want to get you all's um, opinion about what is redlining and how does redlining affect us? Um, well, I, I can kind of start out. Um, you know, most people don't realize how far redlining goes back. Uh, it goes back truthfully, I would say, you know, most of the time people say 1933, 34, but if you really look at it, it was prior to that. 33, 34 is when they actually enacted into more so a law with the um, housing and uh, federal housing administration and basically trying to keep one group of people in one area and another group in another area. So with that being said, as we're being very frank, uh, basically keeping black people in one set area making sure they won't weren't getting any kind of financial loans or any kind of um, help or assistance. Um, and as we get a little bit more into detail, I can, I'm sure Cal can explain the same thing with stop six area. Um, and most of us growing up in different areas, especially in the South, knowing how it was very, it was designed to make sure that you did not move past the level where they already had you, um, where they had you at. So um, this is a, a major factor with uh, throughout the country, but it was more seen and more prevalent 
uh, within the northern community compared to the southern community. Because southern community, you basically knew your place and you knew where you, you could go and where you could not go. And that was a later thing in the uh, 50s and 60s where we were trying to move out into these um, other areas, especially in like um, the major cities such as Memphis, such as Dallas, you know, Houston. These were areas that we were trying to move. Uh, you know, we were getting wealth, but we weren't able to spend that well. So um, the redlining uh, is just, you know, we have to realize this was systemic by the government and it was actually instituted by the government. So, um, but we'll go into further detail as we discuss some of the questions and get more in our, our talk. So I totally agree with everything Jabari said. I will add, uh, like Larry Gilliam said, it was also big in California. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago. The name escapes me. I think it was The Banker. It was Samuel Jackson and somebody else. But they they told the story of uh, two African-Americans who bought up California and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of circumvented the system, if you will, when it came to redlining. But I, I'd like to add uh, a little different scope because of my background. I was military. I was in the Air Force for, for 10 years. And so <clears throat> when you look at it on bases, it was crazy because I could, you know, sign up for the Army. I could say I'm going to give my life and go fight for my country. But even on base, they were redlining on base. You know, wow. it was certain people who couldn't couldn't uh, get housing there. You know, if you had a family and you were a white officer, you were almost guaranteed housing. And so now when you look at an African-American or Hispanic officer, it was like you couldn't even have your family on base. So they redlined the whole base. A lot of people don't know the history of the military and how redlining affected uh, soldiers and airmen as well. And so I, I just like to add that little piece to it, but I totally and wholeheartedly agree with everything that Jabari said. Wow. <clears throat> so, you know, you, you talk about the, you know, the history of where it started and, and uh, how much of a role do you think or what role does government agencies play in, in establishing the practice of redlining from historical and then to the modern day, you know, how what kind of role have they played uh, in redlining? Good question. I mean, they instituted it. So, uh, yeah, it, it was, you know, very blatant. They instituted, you know, this was part of the Federal Housing Administration that was, you know, brought out during the New Deal. So, this is all placed out strategically, letting people know, okay, um, if we give the money to African Americans, then it's going to bring the value down. That's the first thing that they, they let you know. Um, then also is because of the racism at the time. You know, this is the, you got to realize this is the thirties. This you know, um, and it was more prevalent. So when after the World War II, that's when it really hit. When you had, um, as you just stated, Cal, you had these men, black men, Latino men, all types of men that were fighting for the country that they you know that they live in, where they're from. And when they came back from World War II, they weren't able to get a VA loan. They weren't able to live where they wanted to live. They weren't even able to do, you know, this just not just in housing, but education and everything else that they wanted to do. So when it came back to that, that was instituted by the government saying, hey, you're not going to be able to live here because these are designed for a white community or a white suburban community. Uh, that's how we end up getting to the federal, you know, the federal projects, you know, the the housing projects. As you look at, you know, you go back and look at the the major cities down uh, with no actually Chicago, Philadelphia, and you have these huge 
apartment builders and that they're, oh, we're trying to help you get into these apartment buildings, but we want to keep you in this place. You couldn't go over here. So, uh, for instance, South Side of Chicago. South Side of Chicago was prior to the New Deal was, you know, heavily black, heavily Italian and so forth. But as time went on, they moved those people out further west, further east and kept that area particularly black and made sure that they didn't move anyone else in there because of the redlining. Um, these are the, you know, a lot of people don't realize they, they would actually label these areas hazardous, right. uh, troubled areas wow. uh, on purpose because they made sure that you couldn't move out or you couldn't move away. Um, because if you're an you know, African-American at that time, you're trying to, you know, you're doing better for yourself, doing good for your family. And you want to actually move your family out. I want to move my family a little further east so I can get a little bit more property, a little so-and-so. Well, the first thing you did was once they identify who you were, they just basically denied the loan automatically. So, and these are whole, the, from the government to the loan corporations, uh, this, this is all designed well together. And, you know, um, we, and we still seeing it to this day, still seeing it. Still. Yeah. Can you talk more about how is, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, Cal. Can you explain more how, how it happens today? Cause I think it was, it was real blatant, you know, historically, mm -hmm. uh, but in current day, you know, people are like, well, it, that doesn't exist or oh, no. Nah, no, no, it's current. About, huh? It's, it's very current. So a lot of people, since we're, we're discussing, uh, you know, we're all in Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth area. So a good example would be um, the Arlington area. So Arlington uh, early on, you know, basically, I would say the late 90s, um, early 2000, I'd probably say late 90s more than anything. But when they were developing that southern area of Arlington, they were systematically focused and pushing uh, and showing homes just to pretty much the, the African-American community, the um, Hispanic community, that Southern area, just kept showing that Southern area. Let's just go South of 20, go South of 20, because they kept pushing, trying to push people down there. Uh, you know, it was stated that it was development, but if you look at the makeup of that area now, it's still, it's a heavily uh, African-American populated. But now if you come further into Arlington, Northern Arlington, Central Arlington, that area is still, pretty much a, um, it's, it's pretty much Caucasian. Right. Uh, when you go past, um, I guess, Fielder and Parkwell in that area, mm -hmm. uh, past UT Arlington, that area is still, you know, um, heavy populated white people. And I can honestly say that because through experience through my parents, exactly when they bought their house in Arlington, uh, my, my dad was very adamant about, I don't want to be in Southern Arlington. I just don't want to be there. <laughs> uh, so um, end up, he ended up finding him a mother, ended up finding a home, was actually close to UTA, uh, Central Arlington. And I have, like, until they bought that house, never knew that area of Arlington even existed. And this is like right by Pantego, Bailey Junior High, and so forth, if you're familiar with the area. And that area to this day is still not a, uh, you, you won't find a lot of black people, you won't find a lot of Hispanic people. Uh, truthfully, the majority is Caucasian. Uh, it's a nice little quiet subdivision, and you won't see, you won't see uh, a lot of things that you normally see in other areas. So, it was designed to keep people out of that area. But luckily, you know, I had to always laugh about it. My parents had a, a uh, agent that was like, I don't care where y'all live. I just, I'm not from here. So let's go ahead. Make that money, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but those are things that you, you, you see. And now 
if we look at other areas of Dallas and Fort Worth, we're having that same issue as well. I look at if you look at the gentrification. So gentrification now is the new way of redlining. Mm-hmm. I come back in there and I price you out because I know, you know, this is Big Mama's house. Big Mama, you know, yeah, she paid for a house. But at the same time, the taxes was gets her because she can't pay the, or she can't afford the taxes because they have triple the taxes, you know, quadruple the taxes. So that's how they end up pushing that person out. And, you know, uh, I think I, we asked a question, something that y'all asked later on, but that comes back to the general generational wealth. And, you know, because if a lot of people don't realize only at home helps develop your generational wealth. And so, we, we're not getting that, you know, we're getting the short end of the stick. So, um, and when we talk about the red lining, the red line shows you how the appraisal of the home is. So if I go, um, and I'm trying to think of a very fluent area in Dallas, Fort Worth, um, Highland Parks. Yeah, well, Bishop Arts, Highland Park, those different areas there. Um, when you look at the price, if I, I'm living over, uh, well, actually, I'm gonna give you a better example. So uh, most of us probably are familiar with Prince George County uh, in Virginia area, the, that whole area up there, the DMV. So mm-hmm. Prince George County, very affluent area, very uh, predominantly black area. Uh, home you can purchase for 400000 But if you go right down the street, uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember the name of the other town. It's, uh, I think it's West Westover, Westchester, something like that. Uh, and it's predominantly white. That same house will be appraised for like 800000 But if you go to Prince George, appraised for 400000 just because of who's living in that community. So that shows you how it's still being redlined today. So, uh, and you know, we've all seen on the news where um, and I, the black lady, she's married to a white man and they had different types of art on the wall and so forth. And when they appraised the, the home, they got, it, it was seriously devalued. And then compared when she had her husband do it, took down pictures off the wall. And when he did it, it was appraised. I think it was probably double the amount than what they appraised for her. So it still happens today. And, you know, even though people may not believe it, it happens. And so, Appreciate you know. the breakdown, my brother. Mm-hmm. I was going to add, you know, the greatest wealth for an individual is normally held in two things, either their home or their 401k. And so when you look at the, the amount that homes have gone up, in the last few years. And it's funny you bring up Prince George's County. That's where I moved from. Okay. I, was, uh, I was stationed at Andrews Air Force Base up in Maryland. And so when I got out, I actually moved to that area and I saw the explosive growth growth that happened uh, in that area. And yeah, homes went from, you know, the home that we purchased when we first got there is around 250. When we were on the way out, it was going for about 600. And then, you know, the bubble popped in 2008 and the rest is history. But yeah, I totally agree with you on in regards to how the, the new red lining is happening. One other thing I'll add is, uh, like I mentioned, I'm from Stop 6. And so what I've done is gone back because that area has been gentrified. Yes. I've gone back and bought several homes. So I bought the house that I grew up at, uh, in as a kid. Uh, I purchased another home just one neighborhood over in Eastwood. But, you know, I can remember coming up in the 90s and, you know, the gangs were bad over there and stuff like that. We didn't normally see other cultures. But I have a neighbor who's a white lady from Chicago and she walks her dog at night. And so I mentioned to her one day, I said, hey, you know, this is a pretty rough neighborhood. You might want to reconsider that. 
She said, well, I'm over from Chicago, and they ain't no tougher than the Chicago gangsters. So I'm good. <laughs> but, you know, we have to think about it that way. We have to think about reinvesting in our community. And, you know, I was guilty of it for a long time. When I got out of Stop 6, I never planned on coming back. It, it just had such a, a stain on it at the time. So when I left, I was like, man, forget that place. I'm going to go, you know, figure out. But, you know, God is a, a funny God, as we all know. And, and he brought me right back. And when I came back, I started reinvesting in my neighborhood. And I'm glad that I did, not only for the monetary value, but for the young men and women over there that look like us to see an individual who has reinvested in our community. And if you've seen what happened to the Calville projects, that's where, you know, I spent a lot of time growing up. They've knocked those down. They're building $100,000 condos over there. And so a lot of people are complaining about it. But what I'm saying to my community is, hey, figure out how to get one. Get wow. in, get one. And then that way, like you're talking about that generational wealth, we don't miss out on it again. Because who knows the next time that that's coming around, you know, in, in our lifetime, at least. And then, and it's glad you. I'm glad you hear you say that. Um, you know, going back to your neighborhood, because that's typically a lot of times how we end up losing uh, that that wealth that we have, uh, because we we leave the area. We don't want to come back to the area. We feel that you know we got ours, so they're gonna have to figure out how to get theirs too. Uh, right. But then at the same time, when you look at that that uh, as you said, they put us in hundred thousand dollar homes. Well, you gotta look at the average income of the person they're trying to get that home or get that townhouse, they can't afford it. And you know, it's, but the thing about it is, when we have brothers like you, if you have that knowledge to come back and show them how to get it, because it's, it's ways you can get it, even though you may not make, you may make 30,000 a year, but we gotta figure out a way to how, to show you and teach you how to get that particular home. Because uh, yeah. that is the biggest issue with us is that we, we don't know how to get it. Then when we do get it, we can't maintain it. And so that's where we, we're having to look at the whole, the bigger picture. Uh, you know, we talk about the Federal Housing Administration and how they um, how they were part of this whole system. And, you know, and when we look at this, let's look at this correctly. They right. did this from 1933 until the 1970s. That is a long time to keep someone out of an area, to keep a, not a, someone, but a group. A group, yeah. Out of an area. So you have to look at, we did not know. We did not know. Some of us did make it out. Some of us did you know, know how to, okay, let me go purchase this and let me build. Um, now, because some of the things, you know, we don't talk about often is that um, some families did did not, you know, get a, a loan from the uh, FHA or anything like that. They end up buying property and end up building homes. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, they had the airship property. So they were able to, you know, buy that land Aunt was living here on this side of the house. Cousins living here, so forth, so forth, living around, all around because they were able to make sure we're going to build this house. We'll make sure we have it. And that's where that airship came in because it was able to matriculate down to the next person and so forth. And, you know, uh, being able to make sure don't sell this property because as we did not realize that land is a abundance of wealth, oh. you know, it is an abundance of wealth that we can own the property because sometimes even with with this present day you're buying the house but you're not buying the land mm -mm. so and then they can come back over there and get you out the house so mm -hmm. you have to look at this like a two-fold system i need to make sure i own all of it and you know um recently i, I had a friend um back home in louisiana 
um, him and his brother, and I think his sister as well, they bought about 20 acres. And they bought that 20 acres in the, in the purpose of, in the hope of building a few homes for families so they can make sure that their family is able to stay right there in that particular area. So I'm looking like, well, so what y'all doing about 20 homes? So you're doing an acre home? No, they said, no, we're splitting and do about 40 homes. We're going to do enough for our family, but then we're going to try to sell and build some homes from other people, making sure they're getting these homes at an affordable price where they can stay in and, you know, and keep it. So this is where we, then that brings up to that general generational wealth next. Because uh, if we look at it, you know, with generational wealth, you can what finance college, help your family start a small business. There's a lot of things you can do with that. You, you can pass it along. And um, yeah. I, I was recently looking at a, uh, a news article on CBS Morning. Um, and uh, if you look at, you know, the people on there, um, Tony, uh, I can't think of Tony's last name. He's the, the white gentleman on the show. Uh, and he went back and did a whole story on a particular uh, black family that tried to move into the neighborhood where his grandparents were. And, and this is 20 years after his grandparents. His grandparents got the house in the, in the, uh, right after war, World War II. And this particular black family tried to get a home in 1963. They blocked them, denied them out that particular home. Then he showed what happened with his family. His family was able to afford him to go to college, afford him to do summer trips, afford his uh, uncle to uh, purchase a, a, a new business. And while this black family had to be basically they were pushed and moved out of that whole area, they had to they moved to a whole other state. But they never able to, they were never able to get their footing the way that they, they probably could have. And the reason why I bring that up because that community is now and it's in New Jersey. It's probably one of the most affluent communities in the country. So that shows you how that generational wealth could have helped that black family and help other families that moved into that neighborhood and develop. So I have, a question, I have a question for you too. Do you think perception of redlining, I mean, I know we know about gentrification, but do, do you think that perception has intensified by, like, I mean, people understanding what it is more so now than in the past, or do you think people have just kind of like pushed it to the side and say it doesn't exist? I would say a little bit of both. Yeah, I agree too. I, I think the older generation probably still remembers what it felt like, and so it's more ingrained in them versus our generation where, you know, we feel like, hey, if I got a million dollars, I want to live there, I can go and buy that home. And so that's probably the difference, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we we're you know, I hate to say this, but um, a lot of times we we sugarcoat and don't let our, our this generation know the uh, things that happened in the past because we, we want to move forward and move on. But you got to let them know what's going on, because if you don't, it's going to keep going on. It's going to keep repeating itself. And we, we and that's some of the issues that we have. Um, and as I, I think I stated earlier, you know, you can see the difference between the northern redlining and the southern redlining. It's because it's very blatant. The North, you know, that de facto and the jour type of segregation was very blatant in the North, where you're going to live only in the South side of Chicago. You're not coming over yep. here. Yep. So it was very, very blatant. So as you know, we look at that flip and that flip came around, like I would say the nineties, uh, when families were moving from the North, moving back down South. Cause you know, all family moved up north during the, the migration, but then they started moving back down because they started getting more wealth. They started able to get better jobs. They were getting more, the bigger careers. 
and they were able to come back and okay, you know, Big Mama and them couldn't live in this neighborhood, but I can live here now. So mm -hmm. they were able to buy that house down over there, you know, in, in the Hewlett area, let's say for instance in Fort Worth, where they couldn't buy it 20, 30 years ago. Now they're able to live over there. Uh, same thing in, in Dallas, um, where Dallas now has that migration where it has flipped where it's still that segregated area, but they're trying to segregate so much more so by money now than anything. There is it's that discriminatory, discriminatory practice of you don't have this money, you don't need to be over here. And <laughs> we're falling, but we're falling in line with that. You know, African American communities, it's like, okay, well, no, they don't have this, so they don't need to be over here too. So I want, because I don't want my have my neighbors, you know, doing this and that and so forth. Um, and, you know, we, we can look at some of the suburban areas, um, DeSoto, because I can remember when DeSoto was all white. I went <laughs> I to DeSoto when it was all white. I, I can. I can remember when I when I was in DeSoto. Uh, our it was it was. Yeah. I was shocked when Don't I, when I age away, moved me. I went from PIS <laughs> to DeSoto, and I was like, yeah. "What the hell just happened?" <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a culture shock for me. Yeah, and that's when they stopped so, you over there riding on them twenties, ain't it? Right. I, and so now, when I have a conversation with like students now, and I tell them, you know, I graduated from DeSoto, they'd be like, oh, shoot, you hood. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the DeSoto that you see now is not the DeSoto pro like 20 years ago. Uh, my best friend and I went to one of the DeSoto games, and I sat there and looked, and I said, man, there's not a white person in sight. Like, what what happened? And see, and it's just and and I, you know, naturally, I don't mind dating myself, but, um, you know, be honest with you, like when my parents and when we moved to Arlington, that was a, a huge culture shock for me coming from Louisiana and seeing just mostly black kids all the time. All of a sudden, I'm at a school where, like, okay, this is, you know, a, a lot of white people. So I'm trying to get, I have to get used to this. And it was, but it wasn't because it was, you know, it was just something new. Um, and, and I'm, I'm gonna really predate myself because I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. Um, so I remember when 360 dead in at 20. You didn't go any further than that. You didn't know what, what was yeah. down there was some fields. That's all you knew. You don't go uh, down there. Yeah, it's just like oh, it's a bunch of fields. Okay, so and at that time, you know, most of the black people that I knew that lived in Arlington, we lived basically off of 360 in Arkansas. Yep. That was it. We didn't, you know, you really didn't live too many other places you had a few that live a little bit further up north but not many uh so you know and, and i look at that and look at it now it's like i don't even know what these schools are i don't even know what none of these high schools are because when i was there it was only four high schools so i don't know where, where all of those schools came from and so you know and that was at that same time when you um you're looking at as was and that was also what we saw as a, a redlining area because nobody else knew to move further in or move further east or west or so forth they knew this is where black people live in this area. And, you know, I, you felt comfortable um, and, and that's what you did. So, um, and I saw someone putting there like North and South, South Oak Cliff, same thing. Those were areas, those, but you know, when you look at that, a lot of people don't realize Oak Cliff, Oak Cliff wasn't always Oak Cliff, you know, Oak Cliff, that's my hood. No, Oak right. Cliff wasn't like that. Trust me, <laughs> you couldn't even live in Oak Cliff. Yeah. So in that time, one at one time we could not live in Oak Cliff. You know, those beautiful homes that you see over there, uh, and that Redbird and, and that southern area by the Gulf, we could not live over there. Those are areas that came along later as we progressed and got wealth. 
and we moved basically where, where uh, the white culture lived. Same thing with the Soto Cedar Hill further out as well. Those are areas that we were able to finally get into, and that was part of the red line as well. And uh, you know, and that's and you know, and I hate to go back because I know y'all talked about this last week. That's why voting matters. As well, it matters a lot because they draw these lines and districts for that. And as we talk about redlining, the only way to actually combat that redlining is actually looking at those maps from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s and seeing how they designed those maps. And you got to go back and break those maps up. And, you know, I would add that, I, yes, definitely voting is, is super important but also buying land and understanding money management. Um, I, I often talk to individuals in my back and back and even when I was just get back and starting to buy homes and all that kind of stuff over there, I was telling them like, hey man, why aren't y'all buying up this land? And they, ah man, ain't nobody trying to do all of that. But now that you see that plot of land, you could have got literally, there's plots of land over there that when the, um, the oil company who was over there sucking it dry when they Just left, they were selling those lots for two hundred and fifty dollars. One of my good friends and and uh, at over in Stop Six bought fourteen lots. He and his dad bought fourteen lots. Those lots now are going anywhere from six to eight thousand dollars because people want to buy them up and then you know build their home on them. And so I'm just saying to myself, like, dude, we can't keep complaining about what's not happening when we don't even take a chance on ourselves, when we don't invest in ourselves. We're on this uh, platform right now with four black men and we all know cousins and friends that we can call right now. We can tell them, hey, I got a deal. We're going to make a million dollars. Let's do it. And they'll still be like, ah, well. Uh, they'll be like, well, can I, can I see it? You know what I mean? Am I going to be able to? <laughs> no, give me the money. I'll show you when we get there. But, you know, I, I just tell people all the time because I encourage a lot of young people and they like, man, how do I get my family in it? I say, show them the money. So sometimes when I go back to stop six, uh, you saw me a couple of uh, months ago when I went back over there. We we just happened to be on Zoom and I had my gold chain on. I had some J's on. And uh, Dr. Smith was like, man, you go back to your hood like that? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so part of that is is encouragement, man, because I don't want them to think I'm so far away because I'm Dr. Cal. Right or I don't want them to think I'm so far away that they can't still relate to me or talk to me. And so I do that uh, purposefully. So when I go back to the hood, I can stop and I can, you know, see my old friends or, or whatever and just talk to them about what I've done, because if they see the money, they'll believe it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That, that is that's very true. And, and you know, because Fort Worth is actually um, going through that um, a major way as far as um, the, the shift, the change, um, stop six being one. Um, you know, they call it near South Side. I always known it as South Side, but now it's near South Side for some reason. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what that near came from, but um, but like um, by Shamley Branch Library. So if you go down Rosedale Evans, you see these mm -hmm. pockets of these new homes being built. Now, in these new homes, you know, that home right next to is about 40, 50,000. There's a new home they're trying to sell for 200,000. Right. So what do you think is going to happen next? So you have to look at that. And this is just just simple driving through the neighborhood, you know, um, and finding out what's going on, seeing the change that's going to happen. Um, I know recently they had a, a, a huge meeting um, discussing 
um, the area of, of that area, the Roseville Evans project. Uh, and we're seeing, luckily, I'm, I'm seeing some uh, young black entrepreneurs getting in, involved with it now early on, because if they don't, we're going to miss out on the opportunities that we, we're, we're afforded right now. And, you know, and I was glad to see some of the um, older generation coming out there as well, because they're seeing, OK, you know what? I can, you know, I can still afford this, but I want to make sure I get my grandson or my son or daughter so forth involved with this process so we can keep this family home because, you know, it took her a while to get this home. It took her a while to pay this home off. So I still want to see us keep it in the family. And, you know, they came out heavily and the questions that were asked. And um, I know uh, that I'm sure, Cal, you'll probably know Matt Houston. Mm. Uh, Matt was very, very instrumental in making sure that he broke it down and discussed the whole financing, the uh, the security of the property, making sure that, the, hey, you need to get in on this now, because mm -hmm. if we don't, we're going to it's going to slip past us and we yeah. need to be at the and we need to be at the table and letting them know what we want to see and what we want to do. Uh, and so far, you know, it, it's been going well. But, you know, with that, you have to always read between the lines just to make sure you understand as well, because once you cross that 35 side, you see the, the influx of how uh, things grew pretty quickly for that medical district area, as they call it now, GPS area. Those people that, that have that property uh, were able to they were able to actually get money and move along to other areas. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the uh, west side of Fort Worth. Uh, a lot of those black families that and one thing we have to realize, everyone did not do, um, even though redlining is, is a, you know, it's a horrible thing. Everyone did not do as bad as we thought some knew how okay let me get them as much as i can get out of this and then i'm gonna move somewhere else and then i'm gonna help develop this area and it's gonna be ours here and that's yep. the same thing that they did so you have to know you just basically know how to play that game but and and make sure it benefits your family so i mean i think most of us are aware of uh, how segregation mm -hmm. uh impacted us historically um uh, how do you think it impacts the community now with the housing segregation that still goes on, uh, whether it's by by your race or by your financial well-being? How and you know, I mean, of course, resources that's poured into the community, but what other factors contribute to uh, some of the things that can affect that community? Um, yeah. I guess when I think segregation nowadays, I don't think about color like you kind of alluded to as much as I think about uh, finances and opportunities. And so when I think about the missed opportunities for individuals who don't get a chance to rub elbows and uh, meet neighbors who may have, you know, stock picks or cryptocurrency information, those kind of things, I think that's the next level where we'll start to see the divide between, you know, the have and the have nots. That's, again, why it's important that individuals like us not only go back and invest in our community, but also set up times and resources so that we can speak to our community. Uh, one of the things I'm proud of is I have an investment group and it's, it's a very diverse group. And so what I ask them to do is whenever we go out and we do something, I ask for them to come with me and I ask for them to speak and not me to always be speaking. And that goes back to what I was saying just a second ago. For some reason, uh, well, I know the reason it, it's brainwashing, <laughs> but <laughs> for, yeah, for some let's reason, be real, uh, man. Be real uh, with it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, for some reason, 
uh, a black man can say something and it can be 100% correct, but if it comes out of the mouth of an Indian or an Asian or a white guy, then it's like, that's the gospel. And so instead of me worrying and having the ego where it's, hey, I want y'all to listen to me because I'm trying to turn you on, I don't have that ego. I just want you to get the information. So if I got to bring Stanley with me so he can tell you and you'll listen to him, well, listen to Stanley and go buy your ass a house. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so I'm, I'm gonna look at it in a, in a different fold, um, a fold, I guess to say. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm thinking more so. Uh, if you ask that question, is what out of segregation? Uh, what came out of segregation as far as we did not get, and what happened with the redlining of segregation? Um, I would say it's, it's a number of things. So just think about um, think about South Dallas. We don't have any grocery stores. Think about the poverty level. Think about, you know, the things that you don't get, the services and resources you don't get. Uh, you know, recently you're getting the bank in that area. So or recently you're trying to get a grocery store in the area because you're trying to get fresh fruit, fruit and fresh vegetables. You're not getting that. You have a lot of liquor stores. You have a lot of fast food places. So these are things that you got from segregation is because they jump in there and put the things that actually contribute to our health issues our lack of money issues, our drug addiction issues. It was so many things that you got because of that, you know, and I always, I always like to bring it up. I always uh, used to joke with that trail, you know, MLK, he never asked to, you know, I want to be segregated with you. Or I want to be, you know, I just want the equal opportunity that you have. I just want the same things you have. That's it. I didn't want to, I don't have to be in there with you. I want the same type of book you have. I want the same type of grocery store you have. I want that. Not necessarily mean that I want to integrate with you in everything you do. I just want to make sure it's a fair and equal playing field. And that's what Redline did with segregation. We did not get the same resources. Now, you know, we look at, um, you know, we always want to talk about, um, you know, Greenwood and the things that happened in Tulsa. Well, Greenwood wasn't the only black community like that. Mm -hmm. You have so many black communities that were in the same uh, effort as Greenwood. You had places like Harlem. You had places in New Orleans. Like, you know, they don't tell you, like, the Treme really was a black neighborhood and it was very thriving. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at that. Throughout the country, we had neighborhoods like that and, we're, and we were doing very well. But the way to do that is if I break up your area, you're not going to be able to do that. Because you know what? You're going to want to go to this store over here and this grocery store here and this bank here and, and so forth. It's not going to go back into your community. And that's what happened with a lot of the things in a lot of areas that we had in with black communities. Because time you destroyed Greenwood, guess what? Those people moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma City, uh, you know, all these Muskogee, any other area of Oklahoma. And that money was lost. Same thing with that's why they were so, uh, you know, people were so happy when, you know, people got to Harlem. Because I, I can be honest with you. When they when Bill Clinton wanted to build this building in Harlem, said it's going to be the downfall of Harlem because you know what? Once okay. he comes in there, he's going to bring all these other resources in there as far as resources that won't benefit the people that live in that community and have been in that community for years. So, so those are the things that it brought. It was that the, the breakdown uh, of the area. It just really brought the breakdown of the area. So you don't have those resources like you used to. You don't have the little mom and pop stores anymore. Um, like you used to, you don't have the, the the restaurants like you used to. You don't have a lot of the things that you had 
before. Now they're just now they just disappear. And you kind of made a, a, a little thing, a little joke about it, Cal. But I, I agree with you on that because, you know, we have thriving little black business and they, they have, you know, I'll just give an example, a, a thriving tailor. He's doing great. But, oh, this black man, I don't really want to go. Let me go to this Asian guy because I think he can do a better job. Because yeah. you did not give him a chance, and that's you know I always I, and I get pissed. You know I'm have to be real at this part. I used to get always pissed when I would go with friends to like a black owned restaurant. Oh, I don't like how they did that. I don't like how they did. I'm not coming back. But you go right to the other restaurant and you they go back to the account. They, they don't even see you. They walk right, right. past you several times. They <laughs> overcharge you for this and that. But you want to go back to them. But you don't want to give this other business an opportunity to grow. Yeah. Or use the knowledge that you have to, to develop as well. consult with that you know, person like, mm-hmm. and say to help them. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, we have a place, and I'm not gonna mention the name, but it's in South Dallas. And I remember a friend with the oh, I, I went by there. You said they had so so good, and all, and they did this, they did that. I said, well, okay, I'm I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you another way. Did you offer your services? Did you actually do this for a living? Right. So you could offer your services. Hey, I will help you develop your 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 books to make sure everything is correct. So if you can't tell me that, don't complain or bitch about it. Excuse my language. Exactly. Are you right? Hey, so um, before we ask the next question, I want to give an opportunity to the audience to ask a question. I think there was a question in the chat. Um, <clears throat> it says uh, there are a lot of new brick homes being built throughout Poly and Stop Six neighborhoods. Do you know? Who the builders are or the contractors do you know who's financing these new homes no signs outside like perry homes yeah there's an individual i have to grab my phone here and look it up there's an individual uh female actually she was part of the cbdg that's the community development block grant and uh she is actually the one that is helping create the infrastructure for where Calville used to be. So maybe I, I might not know exactly what house that you're talking about, but if you talk with this individual and I'll, I'll pull it up in just a second here and drop it in the chat, she'll be able to help you out um, and get you to where you need to go with that information. And I know now uh, the Roseville Evans area, I, I can't think of his name right now. It's a, um, a brother about in his 50s, I think. Uh, his name is Kenneth Walker. And um, he's been doing a lot of development in that area and building those homes in that area. Uh, then it's also another guy, I, can, I don't recall his name at all, but I can find it for you and, and give it to y'all. Um, he's also been over there. He's been actually going, buying older homes and going back in there and actually uh, remodeling and then finish, refinishing them up uh, and then selling them. So uh, he's trying, he, his goal was to try to get more um, younger uh, people, and especially younger black people back into that area of Rosedale Evans. So off of Terrell, Humboldt, all those streets in that area, those older homes. Homes are very good structure, just a lot of stuff's out of date. It's just, you know, and, and you know, of course we want the fancy, nice new things, but you know, if you get an older home in that area, you have to, you know, be be ready to put the work in for it. Yeah. Really have to put the work in for it. So yeah. any other questions for our, for our panelists? And the last thing I'll say real quick on that. If you see somebody working on a house and you're interested, roll up on them. Yeah. All they can say is <laughs> yeah. no, but you, you get so many, so much information from the contractors. I literally just did this Saturday. There's a house for sale down the street from me. My wife and I were headed to a soccer game and we stopped. The guy was showing the house. It was for lease. He was showing the house. 
I walked up. I knocked on the door. He came. I said, hey, you know if they want to sell this house? He was like, no. I said, well, give me your car. You can be my realtor. We'll figure out we can buy it and we can make some money together. You you can't. I can't tell you how quick that dude gave me that car. Yeah. He had, he had a Trump uh, sticker on the, on the back of his truck and all kind of stuff. But that's <laughs> neither here nor there. The point is, if we want to get in the game, we can't complain about who's letting us in. We need to just get in the game. Right. I agree. So so a lot of things when we talk about our our podcast, we want our listeners to really walk away um, with with learning some things. And so my question to you, gentlemen, is, you know, what what can our role be? Right. You talked about um, the generational wealth. You talked about stopping asking contractors. You talked about, you know, research, learning black businesses. And it can it can really seem very overwhelming, right? So, mm-hmm. like right now, like what can our role be to really fight against the system of gentrification and redlining? I tell you, uh, I'm gonna let Kale go. I, I, I give you steps one, two, and three, real simple. Number one, pick up Dr. Claude Anderson's book, where he talks about economics and how we turn the corner. Two, follow the model that Hispanics have done over the last 20 to 25 years. They've surpassed black people when they couldn't even speak the language. And now they're, you know, owning businesses and having contracts with big schools and all of those kind of things. And three, it's as simple as getting together with other like minded individuals. And don't worry about who's not on your level yet. Bring them up to your level. We have to pour into each other. We've all been given a grace by God. And so a lot of times as we get, you know, our degrees and we move to different areas, we forget where we come from. And when we forget where we come from, we forget who we're here to serve, not for them to serve us, for us to serve. And so if we're not serving back to our communities, if we're not helping individuals that look like us, the next generation, I mean, it sounds cliche to say, but the children are our future. If we're not pouring into them, how do we expect them to be any better off than the last five, six generations that have been in this country? I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, I'm one thing I, I would say truthfully, and it's pretty much one thing, is start investing in your community. That's basically the main thing you do, invest in your community. Uh, as I think someone stated earlier, we have young young people now and these millennials and so forth, um, they're making, starting out making 60,000, a year. Get your group of friends, form your investment club, go back in that neighborhood, buy up those lots, buy up those old homes, buy up that area, and you can do that. Buy that little strip mall and help develop it you can actually have the power to see what goes into your neighborhood and you if you invest back into it uh no matter what area no matter if they're trying to redline this or redline that if you have that dollar bill to buy that area do it and that's one thing we need to do and i I love the fact that you said um the model that um the hispanic uh, population has been doing other cultures have been doing it for years hispanic asian indian they don't mind staying 10 in a household until we can make sure everyone builds up and then move on. Thanks. So those are things that you have to do. You can't get, oh, well, I don't want to, I just want to do it on my own. No, you do it with the group and you oh, all y'all going to eat. So if all y'all eat, you got to do what you need to do to get to that next level. 
uh, and build up your area. And you can have that, like you go into Arlington, you have a whole area that is Vietnamese now. Because mm -hmm. they, when that one person bought that one little store part, he another person came and bought another part. Came another person came and did another part. Because they we, all frequented that place. They, they, they all So that did. dollar keeps circulating back into that same area. And yep. that's what we need to definitely do. Um, and, and 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 the thing about it is we keep saying that we can't do it. We we definitely can't do it. We just have to realize, you know, I know everybody wants to be in charge and everybody <laughs> wants to be the chief. Everybody <laughs> wants to be the person that said I did it. You don't have to be the person that said I did it. You can be the person that's working to make sure it gets done. Yeah. That's the one thing we have to have to always see. Everybody does not have to be the, be seen. And you don't have to one thing I'm, I'm noticing a lot of, which I'm, I'm loving to see, you do not have to vocalize the change and, and the stuff that you're doing. I People agree. Will see it. They will definitely see it. Yeah, I agree. Man, great, great, as, as Terrell mentioned, man, great content. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, sharing all the information that you shared. Hell, we can talk about this all day. All day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we do appreciate your time and the knowledge that you've shared here for our guests today. Uh, thank you guests for being here today. Dantrell, what you got for us before we get off? Man, so um, I'm going to read a little excerpt, man. I don't know if you can see this, but it's called The, back, color, the color of Law. Oh, that's a great book. Uh, Very good. good book, and um, I thought it was, you know, connecting what we were talking about today so i'm gonna read a little excerpt from it it says <clears throat> it is not only the distribution of our national wealth that suffers from racial isolation but also our pro productivity in generating that wealth organizations work better if members are comfortable with colleagues cultural assumptions that may give rise to different perspectives social psychologists have found that segregation can give whites an unrealistic belief in their own super uh, uh, super, uh super, super supremacy supremacy thank you leading to poor performance if they feel less the need to challenge themselves experiments show that when we are in teams with others from similar backgrounds we tend to go along with the popular view rather than think of for ourselves resulting in less creative groups more pro uh, pronounced to make errors and and that, that's so true. That's, and that's a great book to use. And, and actually, I'm going to just say this. Also, look at the book, The Cast, because you can see how with that particular book, The Cast, uh, I'm, I'm going blank with her name, Wilkerson. Uh, but that was yeah, a, I think. I think we, yeah. yeah, it's funny that you mentioned it. Uh, one of our guests, two podcasters, go mention the same book. <laughs> yeah, that, that is. Um, and the reason why I always like to refer to that book, because so many of us and and, um, and i say when us like black people in general have had that happen within their family where some have moved away and they have progressed over there or some have stayed and progressed there and it, it just shows you the dynamics of that was a book that talked about you know it actually has redlining with it how the family moved from one family moved from louisiana to california to la and helped develop a whole area uh, so you, you have to look at, at that, that picture. So that migration, as we know, we're saying the great migration back and so many are moving back from California and New York 
backs out, even though they're driving the price of the house. Uh, but hey, yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, th these are things that that, are, that we're seeing happen, and that's bringing back also some of that that wealth that we want to see and that we want to make sure that our families have. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you, gentlemen, for for your yeah, knowledge and time. Yeah. Uh, thank you, guests, for being here, listening again. Thank you, Kyle. Kyle you say you are you are you are large, huh? Jabari, uh, you gonna be in uh, town long enough to I, <laughs> we send you one of these? <laughs> I'll be I'll be yeah, I'll be definitely in town uh, till November twentieth. <laughs> so I'll be here. I'll, I'll link up with Dan Terrell. Okay, sounds good. Well, until then. Uh, have a great Monday. Be safe. Uh, we appreciate you. We out.